you know, when Lee first brought this idea to my attention, I thought, I don't know if you just get enough people. And then I started to think about the conversations that I have with you, and I recognized, holy cow, you might get a lot of people. There's a lot of people like you that, that are living with that estrangement. If you feel that, you're not alone, as he illustrated with that uh, number of people. I don't remember what he said, 65 or 68 million, whatever it is, people that have an estrangement from family members, whether it is somebody no longer speaks to you or you no longer speak to somebody. Uh, that estrangement, is a, it's, it's an important part of our faith life to help us figure out how to move from where we are stuck to where we could be. So I invite you to consider that uh, sincerely this year. Um, again, contact Lee or contact myself if you have any other questions. I'm going to be reading from the book of Galatians, chapter 5. If you brought your Bible with you or have it on your phone, I invite you to have it open to that fifth chapter. I'm going to look at a lot of different scripture throughout Galatians today, um, uh, kind of setting you up for understanding how um, this, this part of our sermon series is um, exactly what you're called to. This is your purpose. This is why you were created. So um, this comes from uh, the book of Galatians, uh, chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 13, 14. Your, your uh, um, bulletin says I'm going to go into 15. I decided not to. Uh, so here we are. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know, throughout uh, uh, the, the history of the church, there's always been different movements trying to figure out how do we help people connect with God and become who God created them to be. And uh, that, that initial connection we call evangelism. It's gotten kind of a sour note over the years, but the idea is evangelism is, simply comes from a word that means good news. So the idea is how do we share good news in a compelling way that people re will respond to. So one of the ways that was developed about 30 years ago or so um, was developed by the Vineyard Church denomination. I don't know if you've heard of that. There's several Vineyard Church throughout the country. Um, but the, the founder of the Vineyard denomination um, decided that he, he wanted to try to uh, figure out a way that his church could serve the community in a way that was just seemed so random. It was planned, but it seemed random. And so he started to think of ideas. You've seen this before, that churches might be at a, a street corner on a hot day handing out bottles of water or, or <clears throat> offering to wash your car or something like that. The churches do these random acts of kindness to, um, to help engage with the community and to help the community be open to hearing a, a word, a good word, good news from the, uh, from the church. So... He developed what he called servant evangelism, and um, it's, it wasn't brand new to them, but, but they really kind of developed it as, as that was the way they did evangelism for the whole vineyard denomination. And the, when it got started, it started like this. That pastor called, uh, this was his first call to try to figure out how do we do this. He called a grocery store, a local grocery store, and he said, um, Here, here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to allow us to come, and he's talking to the assistant manager, he says, I'd like you to allow us to come and um, to, to, uh, to care for your people 
the, are your customers. We'd like to just hang out in the parking lot, and when somebody comes out with their groceries, we'll push their cart, we'll unload the, the, the groceries out of the cart and into their car, and, and we'll take their cart back for them, and, and, and we'll, uh, um, if it's raining, we'll, we'll carry their umbrella uh, to, to make sure they stay dry. We just want to offer care in that way. We want to serve our community by doing that. And the assistant manager said, uh, I don't know. And said, hold on a minute. And, and you could tell she kind of cupped the phone to her chest because he said in the background, he could just hear this. And, and um, she said, got back on the phone and she said, well, I talked to the manager and he said, if we let you serve other people, everybody would want to do it. True story, that was, that was his first foray into the possibility of servant evangelism, like everybody else is going to do it. it seems like they hadn't started yet. <laughs> Wouldn't it be wonderful if everybody walked around looking for those opportunities to care for and serve others? Well, as we continue in our one anothering series, and we're nearing the end of it, we have a few more weeks to go, um, but we've been talking about those passages in the New Testament that are the one anothering passages, the ones that, that care for one another, serve one another. Well, here's where we've been so far. Um, love one another was the first one, and that, that's sort of preeminent. That's, that's, that's the over, it's the umbrella of this, if you will. And, and so there's um, uh, love one another, be devoted to one another. We looked into uh, honor one another, and submit to one another, we challenged ourselves with accepting one another and admonishing one another. And last week, we turned to encourage one another. Today, hopefully, we can figure out something about serving one another. The Bible passage that we read about is, uh, it, it talks about f being free. We're, we're called by God to be free and this passage that, that comes from Galatians, Paul's focus in the book of Galatians is, is about freedom, how we have freedom in Christ. And freedom emerges as that major theme. Paul admonished the Galatians in, in the first verse of that chapter, not, do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So there's this sense of being freed when we accept Christ as our Savior. And Paul reminded them that, that formerly they, along with the whole world, had been prisoners of sin. Prisoners of sin. Paul reminded them about the law of God that had thundered down from Mount Sinai and how they were, they were captured as sin. The law didn't free them from sin. The law simply made them aware of how captive they were to the sins of the flesh. Paul explained through, throughout the years that followed, the, the law of Moses became God's means, in, in Galatians 3, leading us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. It was Christ who fulfilled the requirements of those laws, all those Old Testament laws. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, it says in Galatians 3. And then also says, now that faith in Christ has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. We're free. Therefore, Paul could conclude, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. But what does Paul mean by that? 
What does he mean by freedom? What does it mean to be free as a follower of Jesus Christ? What does that mean? Sometimes it's helpful if we, if we look at the, the negative side of it, what, what freedom is not, to help us understand what it is. So first of all, Paul makes it clear that freedom in Christ is not freedom to sin. Freedom in Christ is not freedom to sin. He says in that verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge your sinful nature. The Galatians, like so many Christians of today, had gone to two extremes. On the one hand, some reverted to trying to become righteous by keeping the law, all those Old Testament laws, and it served to bring them back into a slavery to legalism. On the other hand, on the other extreme, and it's not just the two extremes, you understand, anytime you have extremes, you have everybody in between, but on the far extreme, on the other side, was an understanding that they could do whatever they wanted. It was a sense of libertarianism gone amok. Therefore, Paul wrote, but do not use your freedom to indulge your sinful nature. Freedom in Christ is not freedom to sin, even though we're forgiven. To have this attitude, this misunderstanding, is an abuse of God's grace. We're not free to abuse legal or illegal drugs. We're not free to visit porn sites or have friends with benefits. We're not free to lose our temper or cheat on our taxes. We're not free to embrace a lifestyle that violates God's plan and commands. The freedom we have in Christ is not freedom to do whatever we want. We're not free to do something foolish just because it's legal. Just because something is permitted under the law doesn't make it a good thing or make it right. Do you know in Missouri we no longer have helmet laws for motorcycle riders? Do you know also that, that people in emergency rooms, you know what name they give motorcycles? Donor cycles. Let that sink in for a minute. Actually, we do have a law about helmets in Missouri. The law goes like this. You must be, in order to not wear a helmet, you must be 26 years of age or older and have enough health insurance to pay for the accident. That's seriously the law. So you have freedom to ride without a helmet. Is it wise? It's true about faith as well. You have freedom to do whatever you want. You've been forgiven. You will be forgiven. But is it wise? The second negative on, on freedom is freedom in Christ is not freedom from the reality of temptation. Oh, that it would be. <laughs> when Christ set us free, he did not with his death and resurrection eliminate temptations and struggles in life. If that were the case, there would have been no need for Paul to write this letter. It would have been assumed. You're free because it's all gone. But it's not. The temptations aren't gone. The good news is that in Christ, we have the power to overcome the temptations of flesh. The bad news is the temptations still exist. The third freedom we have is that freedom in Christ is not freedom from servanthood. 
Now, this is the key point to this. This is where we're going with all this. This, of course, is one of Paul's primary points in this Galatians passage, but also in the whole of the book of Galatians, actually in most of what he writes. Our freedom in Christ is not freedom to indulge the flesh, but a freedom to serve one another. Now, you might ask yourself, how, how is that freedom then? If, if, I'm, if I'm to be a servant to others, how am I free? It doesn't make any sense. And that's one of those wonderful mysteries of faith. You know, when, when, when people who are theologians who study this and, and, and they come to a point that it's a paradox, it makes no sense, we like to fall on that deeply theological term. It's a mystery. I don't know. I don't get it, but it is. Jesus spoke about it when he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever wants to lose their life for me and for the gospel will save it. The Christian who wants to experience true freedom in Christ must live in total surrender to Christ. It's paradoxical thinking, I get it. But turning our lives over to Christ completely, in doing so, we discover the freedom that the Bible teaches on. Paul certainly knew this freedom in Christ because he frequently introduces himself at the beginning of many of his letters as Paul, a servant of Christ, or Paul, a slave to Christ, or Paul, in bondage to Christ. We are saved by God to serve one another. The freedom we find in Christ gives us the freedom to serve. The Bible's clear that we are not saved by our work, by our service. This is a big deal for Protestants, right? This is this was Martin Luther in the 1500s. This was the big deal. We are not saved by what we do. We are saved by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. It's not what we do. We can't earn our way into heaven. But the Bible's clear that because we're saved, we are compelled to serve. There's that term redemption. And redemption simply means this. God picks you from the, the heap that is your life, whether it's a trash heap or it's, it's a heap of confusion or a heap of misguidance or, or I just don't know what I'm called to do. God saves you from whatever mess was your life and saves you to a purpose, redeems you to a purpose. And that purpose is serving. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says this, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that you can't boast. I earned my way into heaven. You can't earn your way into heaven. You can't boast about it. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. That's why you were created, to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are saved by grace and by grace alone. We are set free in Christ to serve. And it is a service that God prepared in advance 
ahead of your birth. God created you for a purpose, to serve one another. That's why God made you. If you want to try to figure out what's your purpose in life, start serving someone. God prepared it in advance of your birth. And, and I would add this, if you're serving in a way that you don't feel like, you know, I'm just not getting anything out of this, I don't feel like God has really called me to this, please quit. Because what it means is that you're serving in somebody else's role. Not quit and do nothing else, <laughs> but at least quit that role and find where you're called to serve. When we serve one another in the spirit of love, we fulfill the whole law as it applies to our relationships with one another. Again, Galatians 5, 14, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. We're not called to loathe ourselves, but to love ourselves. To love ourselves because God first loved us. You are lovable. God sees you and loves you. You know what? God sees the person next to you no matter where you may be in life, and loves them too. You have great sacred value, as does your neighbor. This, this kind of service is rooted in the fact that God loves you. It recognizes that sacred worth and therefore is not reliant upon the opinion of others or upon a self-opinion that is a demon inside telling you that you're not worth it. God says you're worth it. And our love of ourselves is not supposed to be a selfish or self-centered love, but a love that is healthy and that is appropriate and that reaches out to one another in love. You'll recall that commandment to love one another is the second part of a, of a great commandment that begins with love the Lord your God with your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We love each other by doing the kinds of things that we've been studying about, by honoring one another, submitting to one another, accepting, admonishing, and encouraging each other. And there's no better way to love one another than to serve each other. Jesus is the greatest example of being a servant. Paul tells us in the book of Philippians, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. In other words, to serve us by dying on a cross. When Jesus needed to straighten out his disciples as they were arguing about service and who would be the greatest, he says this, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, the Son of Man referring to himself, and to give his life a ransom for many. And when the Apostle, uh, apostle uh, John wrote about uh, the, the washing of feet, Jesus does this on the, the very last night of his life, the night he was betrayed, Jesus washes the feet of his disciples, and after washing their feet, we read this, 
when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you do, that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus is our perfect example of service. And we are called to serve each other in love. And we'll be blessed if we'll do so. Words are important. My job is words. Words are vital. And the way we use words, we talked about this a few weeks ago, the way we use words and some words that have changed their meaning over time. You know, there are some churches that uh, you might go to, and this isn't wrong, it's, it's just a reality. There are some churches you might go to that instead of talking about volunteers in the church, they'll talk about servants in the church. The problem with that term is that it brings this negative connotation of, of forced uh, uh, imagery or, or of bondage or slavery it's negative, and so many have, many have wandered away from that idea, but instead have used the word volunteer. And that's the word I use when I talk about people who serve in church. I talk about volunteers. But that has a problem of its own, especially when it has to do with the gospel. You see, to volunteer suggests that what you do is voluntary. It's of your own volition. However, a follower of Jesus Christ doesn't serve voluntarily. A follower of Jesus Christ is compelled to be about his father's business, as Jesus called it when he was 13 years old. If you are one who has committed, has committed your life to Jesus Christ, opened your heart to his Holy Spirit's guidance, you no longer have the choice whether you will volunteer you only have the choice of how. In other words, you're called to serve or volunteer in service, however you want to use those words. In what kind of ways can you serve? The list is endless. You know that. People, people have physical needs, emotional needs, and spiritual needs. We can serve them by doing something for them that they can't do for themselves, cook a meal, when they're sick, or fix their car. Well, I can't, but maybe somebody else can. We can serve them by, by leading, lending a listening ear when somebody needs to talk. We can serve by giving a ride to the doctor, to the store, to the church. We can serve by praying for them. I'm thankful for all those who serve in volunteer roles at Living Word. And I encourage you to look around when you find a need and just fill it. We don't need permission to serve. All we need is a willingness to serve. You know, uh, if you go to our website, livingwordumc.org journey, 
You'll find a, 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 a several colored boxes that you can click on depending on what area of interest you have. Actually, we have what's called the journey wall. So if you go out to the lobby and there's that wood wall that has all those colored placards and they have QR codes that you can click with your camera on your phone and it, you'll go directly to those different places of service. And, and it's the same as going on our website and clicking those. Do you know we have 83 different ministry possibilities at Living Word right now. 83. There's some Sundays this service doesn't have 83 people, but that's a different commentary. 83 opportunities. And some of those, some of those are attending a, a class. Um, they're not all places of service, but each one of those small groups or classes has an opportunity for you to serve the needs of one another, maybe informally rather than formally. There's a place for you because God created it in advance. In advance of your birth, God created a place of service for you. Albert Schweitzer once said this, I do not know what your destiny will be, but one thing I know, the only ones among you who will be really happy are those who have sought and found how to serve. The only ones who will be really happy are those who have sought and found how to serve. God created you for that purpose, for the purpose of serving, created in advance of your birth, created you for the purpose of serving. If you haven't found your spot, let's talk. I'd love to share a time with you to talk about where it is that you might plug in. And maybe it isn't here at Living Word. Maybe it is in some other place or informally the way you serve your neighbors. But you're called to serve. You're created for it. And you will be really happy when you find that place of service. Amen? And amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, thank you for bringing us into a place of service. And as we go into this time of offering and, and those servant volunteers who are our ushers come forward to collect that offering, we pray, Lord, that you will use our offering to help one another serve one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.